I want to talk about with you tonight, if I could, if you turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. Hey, hey. So we're going we're gonna to try and get to the meat here. Are you okay with me if, uh, if we spend a little time tonight because uh, I'm really feeling the pressure of being in August of the year of great faith, and I'm probably on page four of the 30 pages of notes that I have to teach you on faith. So I'm kind of feeling the pressure of that, really desiring that each of us would have the basics of an understanding of what it means to walk by faith. When God says you can have anything you want by faith, how do you, do you all recognize the fact God's not exaggerating? He's not kind of blowing smoke. He's not kind of just shooting something exciting across your bow. He actually means that because I think we're coming into a time where he's really needing Christians to begin to step into leadership positions, not only locally and regionally, but also in a much more global way, which means that our minds have to really get used to the transformation of what God is trying to do with us. And so the understanding then of this journey of faith, I'm going to call it tonight the cycle of faith, um, because I think that we've kind of had the idea, and it's been very discouraging to us as Christians, where we've seen anecdotally, every now and again, somebody walks into a room, they, they are like, you know, the nastiest heathen that there is on the planet, they come in, somebody bops them on the head, and their life is completely transformed, never to look back. And that kind of becomes, wow, that's what I want. You know, I want to drive up to the window. If somebody I could reach through the window, you know, and bop me on the head, say, thank you very much, drive out, then everything would be magical. That's how we all want Christianity to be. But for the most part, I'll try to deal with some of that complexity as we go forward. Why is it that that happens sometimes? To say this to, to you all, that's not the normal way that it happens. The faith and coming into a place of faith is actually a cycle. It is going from, now let's, if I can, if I can try and draw it out a little bit for you, let's take the, this being the axis right here, and so this is going to be the truth side, and this is going to be the deception side. Now the curve then goes like this from a place where you are manifesting misery without any trouble whatsoever to the place that you are manifesting blessing again without any effort. This is going to be the key, and we're going to have to try and really zero in on this because the, the, if you're in, if you're in uh, Mark chapter 4, so let's read it there for you. If you go to uh, verse 26... It says, and he's, Jesus talking here, and so it, how do you know it's Jesus? It's written in red. And so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, should sleep and rise night and day. The seed should grow up, uh, spring up and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. That's important. The earth bringeth forth, now remember that he's talking about the seed. The seed is what? Tomatoes, apples. It's the word of God. Right When a person sows the word of God, then the word of God sows it into the earth. With The metaphor of the earth is what? Is the heart of a human being. The, the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself, which means your heart, possessive of the, of the word of God, bringing it into full manifestation, then the, it will bring forth fruit of itself. That word of itself 
is the word automazio. Do you know, does anybody recognize that word, right? That word automazio is where we get the word automatically from. And so we recognize then that just like I am manifesting misery without any trouble whatsoever, yeah. all I got to do to manifest misery is what? Wake up, Wake up in the morning, right? That's, now we would say that's almost humorous, but it's actually how this is working, right? When you understand the workings of faith, when we believe in a constant flow of misery and poverty and shortage and tragedy and trauma and all this type of thing, we just say, you know, life is pain, you know, Nietzsche will help you with all of that stuff. If you believe that, foolish enough to study all that and, and agree with Nietzsche and all of these guys, then you are going to begin to put your faith behind that thing and faith don't care whether it gives you misery or blessing. Beloved, I've said before you, blessing and cursing, life and death. Here's a clue. Yeah. Choose life, right? Choose the good stuff, but you don't have to. Choose misery if you like. Study after, you know. Yeah, yeah. All of these type of things are the problem, but the, the key of faith is that faith manifests whatever it is that you have chosen to believe. Now you say, I didn't choose to believe. Well, technically you didn't choose to believe, but you're responsible for the believing that you have. So now that you've sat here and I've told you you can have what you say and you can have what you want and you can have what you believe, now you are responsible. Don't get to go to heaven and go, Dad, I didn't know, I didn't know. He'll take you back to the video. See here, right here, where Ian told you this. Yeah. Right? So it's the responsibility that comes with that. It's a great responsibility, right? You know, you don't have to drive a car. It's dangerous sometimes, but there's a great reward that comes for driving a car, but you have to be responsible with it. Same thing what we're dealing with now. And so what we're going to try and talk about then is this cycle and how does the cycle work? Particularly, we're going to try and do it sort of in the slow-mo if I could. Realize that everybody comes into the faith journey down here. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells you something very specific about the devil. Do you know, now it's not that he wears a red suit or he's got a pitchfork. Does everybody know what he would? He's a father. Do you know he's the father of something very, very nice. specific? How many things that the devil says are actually true? Listen, no, 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 no. Careful. Luke chapter four, people. Right? The, the devil actually sometimes says things that have a hint of truth in them. The problem is he doesn't stop there. He'll turn even a hint of truth into a big fat lie. How many of you remember him doing that? You know, if you cast yourself off, the, you know, the, the angels will you dash your foot against this. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that the devil is saying there that sort of sound like they're true. The only problem is they just got a hint of not true, right? You know, if I had a cup of coffee here, you know, Amy, if I had a cup of coffee, I'd just spit in it one time. Would you drink it? Right? Well, okay, forget you. <laughs> Let's go to somebody who's a little skivvied, right? <laughs> Tina, Tina, you would not drink it. Why? Because a great cup of coffee with me spitting in it one time is now a ter terrible cup of coffee, right? It's, that's just gross. Well, that's what he does. And you have to be careful of that, even if you were what we would call a good person. Yeah. You grew up in church. You're, a, you're, a, you know, you're, you're trying to be kind. You've been a, trying to be a loving person. You've been a good person all your life. It doesn't matter. The devil is still going to get you to start your journey all the way down here like this. Why is he going to do that? Because he wants everybody living in misery. He wants everybody to be living based on his deceptions. And we see this all the time. You can even find them, you know, these little nuances or the, the places where there appear to be contradictions or these type of things, even as we study the word of God. 
you know, like there's so many ways that the devil is able to confuse people when we're not really strong in our, the teachers are not really strong in their revelation, giving it to the, now we have come in a generation, probably a couple hundred years now, where the teachers have understood the word of God quite well. They have, they can articulate the Greek word behind the this or the other. But can I tell you something? You cannot explain something to somebody with life in it unless you believe already what you are teaching. What's going to happen is is that it is through the process of believing that you really come to the place of understanding in such a way that you can teach it to somebody else. I remember we first started teaching these things 10 or 15 years ago. There was a lot of work that we had to do with how do you come in, how do you connect all the dots with this teaching? If you're not walking down the road, if you want to debate things intellectually with me, which a lot of people wanted to do, if you want to debate the things intellectually, then we're really not going to be able to get very far. Because it's not really uh, something that can, it can start with an intellectual debate, but as the teachers coming in, the real value is that the teachers have come through believing it, walking it, living by it, because there's a feeling to a lot of these things that you're not going to understand by standing back and looking at it from afar. That's what I've discovered in, you know, doing my very best to walk down this road, even a small way is that you're realizing that my perspective is actually changing along the way. We'll talk a little bit about that even as we start. So as we are starting our journey from down here where we're just not really sure. Remember I told you that story about when I was first saved, the Lord said 90% of what you believe is wrong, right? I always thought that I had a spectacular intellect. So I was quite offended by God when he said that to me until I realized that he was being quite generous by saying that 90% of what I believed was wrong. Because the problem with even a whole lot of right, a whole lot of right mixed with a little bit of wrong is still wrong. That's the problem. Think about a mathematical equation. Remember when you were doing grade 11 algebra or something like that? You could go all the way through this magnificent formula, make one little mistake up in this corner over here, and the answer would be wrong. That's kind of how life is. That's why we haven't a hope of getting through life successfully the way God would have us to do it, should we not have that book that's on our lap to be able to be constantly checking the formulas by which we are living our lives. So everybody gets down here, and they may be the same thing. Not, you may be 90% of what you believe is right, but I can tell you where your problems are going to be is in that 10%. And that's why we want to be understanding the process. If I find something where, okay, the blessing is not manifesting, I have misery manifesting in my life, no big deal, not going to worry about it. I'm just going to set myself to this curve, get that thing turned over, turned into a blessing. Now, automazio, it produces blessing in my life. Okay. Some of the criticisms of this, I want to deal with them. And we've seen them now over the last 50 years of trying to, you know, flesh out what it means to live and walk by faith. The number one problem that we have seen in the doing and the revelation of faith is that faith was sown into the hearts of the understanding or the, the, the ways of faith were sown into the hearts of people who were still selfish people. Right. And because they are selfish people, what they want to do is they want to walk by faith to satisfy all of their selfish desires. 
And so we would say, let's shoot the faith teaching in the head, because if we shoot the faith teaching in the head, then all of these people who are prospering, but prospering to their own detriment, will at least be able to go back and live inside of their basement in a box, and that way they can get to heaven when they die. Now, I understand that that's a response, but let's take a look at a different way of understanding what was supposed to happen so that as we do it the way it's supposed to happen, we can embrace the faith teaching, which as we talked about on Sunday, really covers everything there is to have that God wants into our life. If you want anything from God, you have to get it by faith. faith. And so we recognize it's not that God wants us to throw this out. We have to be able to not necessarily be afraid of the fact that we may have a few manifestations that aren't as acceptable in our perfect world. And here's why. As you are going through this curve of going from misery to blessing, do you recognize that there's a whole half of this down here that is still full of deception? And so even though you move from here to here, which is awesome, you're still well below the line where a lot of what is going on in your heart in that area is still deception. Deception produces three things automatically. You don't have to try to do this. If you are, you know you're deceived because you're manifesting life in fear, dread, and selfishness. So it's not a surprise that in the early years of, or the early season of trying to live by faith, that that revelation of faith still going through a fear, dread, and selfishness heart, because these are the motivators. What makes you get up in the morning? What makes you make the decisions that you're making? You're still being driven by the deceptions. This, and we shouldn't be, that's why I don't call them sins. We make these sins like, oh, they're such a bad thing. Thank goodness I'm not a sinner anymore. Sin just means you don't do it the way God would do it. So if you are deceived, you're not going to do it the way somebody who's not deceived is going to do it. Therefore, okay, we don't have to measure on this. This is what the problem has been. So you go, sinner, sinner, sinner. That's what we've majored on in the kingdom. We ought to be going like sinner. Now, I'm not a sinner in the sense before God. I have the blood of Jesus. I'm to- I can go into God as if I have never committed any sins because those things are totally paper. But it's not like I'm going in there saying to God, hey, God, I'm not a sinner. I'm going into God saying, hey, God, why did I do that? And why do I still feel like doing it? Why do I feel like punching my neighbor in the head? I'm a loving person, but I still feel... Why? I'm not going in here because God's going to judge me or shoot me or shoot, let a thunderbolt come at me. No, but nor am I going in there saying, you know, I know you think I'm great, but I kind of know that I still got some stuff. Yeah. You're the answer to my stuff. Yeah. This is the place of the kingdom where when we step into this and we de, you know, religify all of these things. Yes, I believe God loves me the way that I am but I'd like to get better. I'd like to get stronger. I got a destiny I'm trying to fulfill. I got a couple impossibles that I'm trying to overcome. So I recognize that the very nature of those things going on in my life is because I still got some of this. Because Jesus came here and he saw a body of water and he, I go, I need a bridge. He goes, let's walk. 
And so realizing then that it's going to be okay for us and we should be all right with ourselves as we are trying to get through this curve on any particular revelation. And that's as important. Every time you get a revelation or you hear something from the pulpit or from your Bible or from a teaching or whatever, and you would say, boy, that promise is something that I would like. I'd like healing. I'd like prosperity. I'd like relationships. I'd like eternity. I'd like wholeness. I'd like peace. I'd like joy. I'd like whatever. Go on and on and on for all the thousands of promises that God has given us that we could have totally perfect, awesome lives all the time forever through our generations. When I hear one of those things that is a, something that I want, I have to go through this curve to get it. The reason that I want it is because I don't have it. If I had it already, I'd go, ooh, Master Ian, can we move on to the next teaching, please? The reason that we want those blessings, we hear those things and they, our heart pulls us towards them is because our heart knows, one, we should have them. We are children of God. Our hearts know that. But we also know not seeing a whole lot of that manifesting automazio in my life, so let's, let's stay in the, in the game. Yeah, and so we recognize that as you, in all thousand places of my life that God wants me to go from deception to truth, I'm going to go through this same curve. I can be at this place on the curve on one revelation. I could be here on another. I could be here on another. I could be here on another. And there could be a whole bunch of other ones that I don't even know I need yet because yeah. nobody's told me. And that's okay. And we got to create an environment where there isn't anybody standing. That's why I tell people all the time, oh, I, you know, I, I got stuff going through, I got going through right now. I got a couple impossible walls that I'm trying to defeat. I'm the pastor. But we can't create this hierarchy that says the, the people, the leaders are those people who have gone through the curve and now they're perfect and can walk on water. That's where we get into all the problems. Then you can't identify with me. I, you can't, there's no relationship because they go, oh, best to me and you're so awesome. Well, I am awesome, but I'm not as awesome as you think I am. <laughs> and we've all got to be okay with that. Yes. We've all got to be all right with the fact that Jesus did, he, he was the perfect example for all of us. Right. He had every revelation in full manifestation. It's, that's what each of us want. So what do we got to do? We got to be okay with the fact that there is a season where the motivators of our lives aren't going to look particularly like Jesus, but we're going to be pursuing the word of God anyways. What's the magic of the word of God? This is the probably the most amazing set free moment of the power of the word of God. When deception finally becomes truth. You're still not done. There's a ways to go. We'll discover what all of those things are as we go. But what happens is the motivators, as you go into the truth side of things, the motivators of your life switch from faith, from fear to faith, from dread to hope, from selfishness to love. I'm not trying to be a loving person. I'm not trying to get rid of my fear, as it were. You can't get rid of fear. If you are deceived, if a person has a deception, you know, that I, you know, I'm going to die young. I could tell you, you could tell you, go to see 100 doctors. I don't care. You're going to live afraid. You're going to hear what the doctor says. No matter what the doctor says is going to make you afraid, simply because the motivator of your life is deception. 
If I really do believe, I don't think most people in North America believe this, but evidently, when we leave this life, we go to a better one. I don't know if you've heard that one or not, but most people don't act like that in our culture. Most people are terrified of their eternity. We can tell because they're afraid to die. They're afraid to go through the curve. They're afraid to deal with these type of things. And that fear is based on a lack of revelation that, that, that this, is, this life is just like the life of a baby in the womb gets to come out here. When we leave this womb experience, we are going to the real life, which is the life that we're going to live throughout eternity. Most people, because we have not understood how to go through this curve and really believe in our eternity, we're still down here. We have the information that we're going to live throughout eternity with God in heaven, mansions, and all that stuff. That's in our head, but we're still doing it on the fear side of the curve, which is not giving us any blessing whatsoever. It's making us, now the more we hear, actually, the more it makes us afraid. It's like when you take a look at, people have asked me, why don't you teach on the end times? Because end time teaching makes people afraid. Because they still think God's going to judge them. And if God's coming and he's coming as a judge, that makes, I teach it and they, they quake in their boots. Instead of we have to learn this first, we learn this and get out of the curve. We learn about our eternity, learn that our eternity is, you know, God is going to judge me. He absolutely is going to judge me, but he's going to judge me awesome. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's his judgment of me. But I, maybe you've heard that, but maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you still remember those nasty things that you did, you know, way back in the corner in the dark. And you think God is gonna, still going to get you for that. That's a belief system. And so your end time teaching, even though it's a good teaching, it's the truth. It's God speaking. It's God speaking to a dece deceived heart. And that deceived heart is still going to be reacting to everything and motivated by all of these bad. Now what we're doing is we're going through this curve. I don't have to make somebody, you know, what I need you to do is stop being so selfish and turn into a loving person. Amen. You may go. Dismiss. I don't have to do that anymore because that's not my job. That's the job of the word of God to do that. If you take a look at the New Testament, what is grace? Grace is simply this magical work of the word of God in the heart of a human being that turns us from pagans into believers by itself. Simply because now I'm not motivated by these things simply because the, the root of these things, which is deception, isn't in there anymore. I don't believe it anymore. So now I don't worry about it. I'm just not afraid. I'm not trying to not be afraid. I'm just not afraid. Now we do have a little bit of an issue that we have to be aware of in this transition. And that is right here. This is what I call head to wind. If you understand that terminology, when I was a young person, I used to race sailboats, another one of those things that I probably have to give account for in my idleness. But, <laughs> but see, that's one of those things. See, I'm dreaming to go back to that world. So <laughs> anyways. There's a, I don't know if you know about the way sailboats work at all, but sailboats cannot head straight into the wind. If the wind is coming from Pastor Tina, let's say, she is the wind, then if I'm going to sail, I've got to sail 15 degrees off this way, or I've got to sail 15 degrees off this way. That sail creates like a wind foil, like the way an airplane wing works. As it creates that foil is what pushes the boat forward, okay? Sandy, can we... Uh, as we are doing this thing, like if I wanted now to drive my boat towards Alex, who is now going to become the wind, if I have to do that, I've got to head now this way 
on what's called the port tack, and then I got to flip my boat over this way and drive this way for a while. I got to flip it back this way and go this way, flip it back this way and go this way. As we are transitioning from a port tack to a starboard tack, we have to do this thing called go head to wind. When a boat goes head to wind, there's no power on the boat whatsoever. The sails are sort of flapping in the breeze, and you have to have enough inertia to get yourself to the other side of the, of the wind in order to pick up the wind again and you go. This is exactly the situation that many people experience in the kingdom as they're going along this way when the motivators of their lives are shifting from fear, dread, and selfishness, which they are used to, right? The reason most people get up at six o'clock in the morning and go and fight the wolf all day long is because they're motivated by fear, dread, and selfishness. So that's what makes them go. This thing called adrenaline, stress, fear, anxiety, worry, all those things that create this human uh, energy to go forward and fight against the perceived wolf at the door, that's what makes most people go. That's why 90% of the diseases that we experience in our lives are stress. And people say, I'm not stressed. <laughs> oh, wait till you get to the other side of the curve. And you'll say, I don't know how I survived that time in my life. <laughs> because these motivators then, as they are switching from one to another, it feels weird. It actually feels like you're not motivated to do anything. Because faith, hope, and love are... Now, I under... now, see, let me tell you a ditch that you can fall into second years. You can use this teaching as a get-out-of-jail card for the rest of your life, okay? But that's not... The, that's, obviously, we're not looking for that. But you can get stuck here. That's, the, that's what I'm going to try and help you with. Fear, dread, and selfishness means you are motivated by worry and anxiety. Faith, hope, and love means that you are motivated by vision and destiny. Okay? You, can, you, you, you have to remember, as you're going through this curve, you can't just get to zero. That's like me racing you in a sailboat and I decide what's nicest is if I just sit there head to wind. I'm not going to go anywhere. Matter of fact, I'll go backwards. Eventually, I will fall backwards. My motivation has to be to get all the way through to the other side of it. Why is that? Because this side of the curve is religion. Everything I do on this side of the curve is works. I'm not, I don't believe it yet. Do you see it? Yeah. This is where the king, this is where all of, you get from misery when you're a pagan, you come along here, get tired, and you stay there. And you just live in religion for the rest of your life. Religion is not the motive, is not the objective, is not the destination. What you want to be doing is pushing your way now. Faith is pushing my way, not just listening to the teaching. You know, went to church once, every, once, you know, Christmas and Easter or something like that. Went to the productions. They were fun. Miles was hilarious, okay? No, you see, you got to go and realize that this is a whole journey where you are looking to go all the way down here to all the way up here. What's the, okay? Is everybody, is everybody, is that, I don't understand. Now, that's, that takes work. This curve, can I tell you what the curve is called? 
because it's going to be a new piece of your Christian uh, vocabulary. You ready? This curve is called the confession curve. Your confession gets you all the way from here, misery, all the way up to here in blessing. Your confession is very different here. You're saying the same stuff, but you don't feel it the same way. You know, and you just, you just come out of a CAT scanner and your doctor's yelling at you and they're pumping your body with all kinds of stuff that your body should not have in it. And you say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. You have to say that because you're on the confession curve. Because I got to get from misery over here to blessing. But I'll tell you something, saying I'm healed down here and saying I'm healed up here is completely different. Do you all recognize that it's completely different? That is the confession curve. As you go along here, turn to Romans chapter 4. Am I done? 24 seconds from now? Yes, I am. Romans chapter 4. Now, you know where we are. We are in the Abraham first guy to do something amazingly awesome by faith. Verse 18 says, Abraham was like God, bringing life to dead things by what? Calling, listen, calling those things which be not as though they already, I put that in there, are. Abraham, just like God, bringing life to dead things, how? By calling those things, excuse me, that be not as though they are. Okay, go to Joshua chapter one, verse six. Be strong and very courageous. This word of the law, or the Bible, we'll say, we'll update it, New Testament. This word, these words that God said shall not depart out of your mouth. So what should always be in your mouth if the word of God should not depart from there? The word of God should always be in your mouth. Okay, it's, that's the same concept, the mystery of the transformational power of the entire New Testament is in your confession curve. That's the key. Now you're going to say, well, you know what? If I'm doctor says I'm sick and I say I'm healed, then I'm lying. Are you? Why aren't you? Well, the doctor's not lying. That's probably not a great way to put it. The doctor is giving you facts. Facts are different than truth. Okay, this is where we can become confused. Facts in your life are based on what you believe is the truth. Even if the truth within you is actually darkness. So you are having facts, each one of us are having facts manifested in our lives because we as divine beings have chosen them to be true, even though they may not be actually true. So when I am saying something that God says that I am by his stripes I'm healed, I'm actually speaking the truth 
even though it is contrary to the fact that is going on in my life right now. A fact that is based upon, if it disagrees with God, a fact that is based upon something that I believe that God does not believe, which makes it a deception. As we are going through now from one side of this curve to the other side of this curve, our confession, the things that we are saying as we are living our lives, is the single most important discipline that you have to learn. You have to be able to face a contrary situation where you may be believing for finances and you may be believing that you'll always have more than enough and you look in your wallet and it would appear to you that you don't have more than enough. What are you going to do in that situation? You have, an, you have a choice. You can do this thing called doubt, which means I stand there and wonder, hmm, is God right or am I right? Hmm, hmm, I wonder who's right in this situation here. And that could take you a long time. If you're like me, that could take you an eternity. But it doesn't have to take you an eternity to make that decision. You can just go right up and say, hmm, I'm right, which means you'll stay where you are and stay in your deception. And you won't ever have more than enough. Your wallet will always look the way it looks today. Even if you win a lottery, wait a few months, it'll look like it looks today. Or you can stand in that situation and say, in the face of doubt, you can say, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. And say the word of God again. Yeah. Say the word into that crisis. Say the word of God into that situation. Now, you can't get discouraged. This is what's happened to a lot of us because we thought faith was instant. It seems instant because we read about it in the pages of our Bible and it goes like a paragraph long. You know, we can read in one sitting, you can read the whole book of Romans. That was the entire life of the Apostle Paul. And so we recognize, you may say, you may have a healing issue right here. You just heard a little bit about it one time in a teaching one time a long time ago. It's, I guess it's in the Word of God somewhere, but I'm just not sure. Now you start confessing the Word of God, and don't let the doubt sit, not for a moment. The doubt is the problem. The doubt makes you go that way. And you'll slip back because you're, you're allowing your soul to, to re-meditate on things that are contrary to the word of God. That's what doubt is, simple. Instead, you just become this soldier of your confession. Not because some, not, this is not like a, there's no contest here. It's like golf. You can get better if you like, but you don't have to. Each one of us are in that place where we say, you know what, God, I just want to understand, like, what's the journey? If I could understand the journey, if I could understand what's going on on the inside of me as I make my way along the confession curve, what's happening is I'm starting slowly sometimes, but we'll show you some tools and tricks to be able to really speed up this cycle. It's phenomenal. You know, there's great wisdom in this ministry to be able to speed you along this curve. But the decision is still yours as to what am I going to do 
when the, when the trauma hits? What am I going to do when the crisis comes? What am I going to do when the bad dream happens? What am I going to do when I wake up in a funk? What am I going to do when a bill comes in the mail? What am I going to do when this person spits in my face? What am I going to do when this crisis is visited upon me? I'm telling you, if you just focus on this simple thing of my confession at that moment, because that's the real problem, right? You don't have to worry about your confession when everything's going your way. It's what do I do when it appears to my natural mind or the facts start talking to me and the facts tell me God's lying. The Bible's not true, whatever. You know, you've all been there. So here's what we're doing, is we're realizing that there is, this is, this confession curve is also the grace curve. By your confession, you are empowering something to go on on the inside of you that is transforming what you believe. And we'll find out a lot of really cool things. You know, confession is more than just be a parrot and talk. Can I tell you, just let me tell you this so that you go home with something. I hope you have something already, but something else, something dessert. The key to confession is alignment, write these words down, and agreement. That's the two powerful tools. Alignment in your confession is the alignment of your spirit, your soul, and your body when you are considering it in your mind. I, you know, you've, you've seen yourself do this, right? You've kind of, everybody, is everybody in here praying in tongues? You know, you can pray in tongues and do very complex mathematical equations in your head because it's nothing to do with your head and you can wander. Your soul can just go blue on vacation for the half hour that you're praying in tongues. Yes. I, you know, I can remember praying in tongues when I used to drive and I'd end up in Toronto and I'm thinking to myself, how did I get to Toronto? You can do all those things. Your brain doesn't have to be involved. You know, a lot of your confession, when it becomes kind of normal to you, you can do it and think about something else. Don't do that. The alignment of your spirit, which is the truth. So you're focusing now on the spirit of God that's within you, revealing truth to you. Then you're aligning your soul, which is your mind, will, emotions, imaginations, your intellect. All of those things are getting involved in your confession. The more emotionally excited and intellectually stimulated you are by what you are saying, the faster you're going to move through this curve. Why? Because you believe you more than you believe anybody else. The second thing is agreement. Okay? If you are, you are, you really need something down here. and you don't have it, and you know you're here, which is okay to be here. I'm here in some spots. I'm not even on this chart in some spots. But if I recognize that I am here, I can come into agreement with somebody, where's my pen? Who's here? Now, when I agree with them, I need to be like, the not, not the doubter. Right? Come up to me and say, I don't know. I don't think this miracle stuff even works. Whatever. It's stupid. My wife may be coming. I can't believe it. All right, go. Right? All right. It ain't going to work anyways. <laughs> oh, you can't do that. Right? I've had people where, listen to me. I've had people that I can sense on them when they come up to me and ask me for prayer. They're not believing anything's going to work. They're just doing it because, hey, I might as well take a shot. You know, here's my nickel. Yeah. You know? 
And what I ask them to do is I say, just don't disagree with me. I don't know how much church you've had or whatever your situation is. I don't know if you know anything about the word of God. And that's okay. I just don't disagree with me. You know, I may say some stuff. Just don't weird out on me. That's all. And I tell them, oftentimes I'll say to them, I says, you know, if they, let's say this, I remember this one person, he had uh, some kind of poison that was going on in his body, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know that commercial with the little foam, you know, the bathroom cleaner and the little scrubbing bubbles? You remember those? I said, could you imagine that I spray a whole bunch of, of scrubbing bubbles into your veins? And these little scrubby things are going around scrubbing your blood and scrubbing all of the inside of your body. Can you imagine that? He goes, yeah, <laughs> it's going to, you know, it's gonna. I said, stay right there. And just run that loop of that thing around and around and around and around in your soul. Doesn't matter what I say. Don't even worry about what I'm saying right now. All I need you to do is just don't ground the circuit. Just don't turn the wires backwards and start getting weirded out because I'm praying for you and I got really bad breath and it's really obnoxious. And just don't do that. Just stay in agreement while we pray. And so what am I doing? I'm aligning myself, spirit, soul, and body. And then if I feel like I'm in agreement with somebody, I'm allowing myself to remain in agreement with that person who may know some things that I don't know because they've made it all the way along that curve. And I tell you something, there's a lot to learn internally. There's a lot of reality that transforms on the inside of somebody it's not just, oh, you know something that I don't know. It's not like that. There's like, it's, it's what, what I believe Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3. If we expand it to his true meaning, he's saying you're going to see things born again, which means you've come into a new belief system about something, is like the whole world becomes a brand new world to you. Every time you get a new revelation, the world becomes a brand new place. And so because it's a brand new place, you can see and observe and understand and perceive things that you could never have perceived from down here. The world down here is just gray and flat as you come through this curve. And so people are going to be praying things, are going to know things, are going to hear things, are going to establish things, are going to do all of that. And all your job is to do is say, Lord, I know this is mine. I know it's my possession. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm scrubbing bubbles, scrubbing bubbles, scrubbing bubbles. And so when you're making your, even when they, people would say, okay, say I'm healed. I can't. Say I'm healed. No, I can't. I'm not healed. I feel the way. Say you're, just do it. Just come and align yourself into agreement with that thing. Has this helped you at all tonight? As we're going along this. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I know because I have decided to follow God, what I have already decided to do is walk by faith. I've already decided that I am a believer. I've already decided that my life's journey is to walk in all the promises that the Bible has for me. I've already decided that I am going to pursue God and the destiny that he has for me. That means I need to understand how faith works. 
how to go from misery to blessing. Holy Spirit, I know you're the helper. You're the come alongsider. You're the uplifter. Your job is to guide me into the truth. So I declare today, I am your humble servant. I know you're smarter than me. You see better than me. You know me even better than I know myself. So Holy Spirit, I'm releasing myself into your hands. Guide me every moment of every day. As I sleep, as I'm awake, show me how faith works. Reveal to me, let me perceive faith in action in my life and in the lives of people all around me as I watch their faith manifest for good or bad in their lives. I know that will help me to understand this is really how the world works. This is really the key to the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.